Amen. Amen. Awesome to pray and to worship together. Thank you for joining us here today. It's good to see your faces and to be gathered together. It was really great to see the uh, sports camp recap video. This morning was the first time I got to see it in the first service, and uh, that was a real joy. Thank you to many of you uh, who were helpful uh, on those fronts, praying, giving, many of you serving in in specific ways. Uh, That was a really special week for us as a church family, and and we look forward to seeing the fruit that is going to come from that. So praise the Lord. Uh, This morning, we turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can join there. Galatians 5 begins with a powerful proclamation. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Can somebody say amen to that? Those are really good words, especially for the person that has been struggling or weary from religion. Those are really good words for the person who has been self-absorbed and needs a better object for their affection. Those are really good words for those who are questioning meaning and purpose. Freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There may be no more powerful word in our language. Our heroes lived and died for it. Our hearts yearn for it. Our culture debates it even now. In Isaiah 61, the mission statement of Jesus, which he quoted in Luke chapter 4, it's all about freedom language. What was his earthly ministry going to be? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. I want to encourage you to read these first six verses of Galatians 5 with me with this idea of freedom in mind. We're going to reference the first 12 verses today, but this will be our primary text. If you would follow along, we have it up here on the screen, or you can read in your Bibles. Galatians 5, verses 1 and following. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Somebody say amen to that this morning. All right. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith The righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. We're going to keep this passage open and we're going to reference several verses in the first, first of the first 12 today. I want to actually begin this message with a little bit of a story Um, that I would simply call a young man's search for freedom. And the story goes like this. I want you to imagine a young man, he's 13, maybe 14 years old. He has been raised in the church, and he is bored. (laughs) Somebody say, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Though he has sincerely wanted to follow Jesus well, he has mostly been given guidelines, and the complexity of growing up has proven harder than he thought it would be. He has a good reputation, He has a strong desire to be liked, and so he seeks to perform well. This also means that he lies 
to cover anything that would feel shameful or guilt-inducing. By the age of 15, he's given a rude awakening in that many of the rule givers that he has looked up to are actually rule breakers, cheaters, fakes, much worse even than him. And in his mind, the pursuit of Jesus, which he already thought to be pretty hard, has now proven to be lifeless and maybe even fraudulent. He still believes in God. God's out there somewhere, but he does not think that God will be found by following the rules that he has been given. What follows is a season of spiritual lukewarmness followed, uh, following this. A young man, the young man did not abandon his faith, but he simply compartmentalized it because, remember, he's pretty good at faking. He would keep his image intact through high school, and he thought that perhaps answers about God, if they were to be found, and answers about meaning and answers about freedom would come in time. He's now embracing a new definition of freedom in his college years. For now, many more choices are under his own control. So the young man determined to live for himself and cast off the legalism of his youth. He was not the hedonist that some of his fellow party friends were, but he adopted what we would call a narcissistic approach to freedom. He was now free to do what he wanted. This chapter, though, did not last very long because it felt to him like he was a child who decided to run away from home and yet questioned the wisdom of the decision by the first missed meal. This idea of freedom through indulging oneself didn't seem to have longevity and didn't seem to have joy. Maybe it was his conscience, maybe it was something else, but his freedom did not feel like freedom in the person in the mirror, not the image that he was hoping for. At this point in his life, he would say he could still fool others, but he was having a hard time fooling himself. At the age of 19, a terrible thought began to crystallize in his mind, that if the rules of his upbringing were not the answer, and if the living for oneself did not actually bring joy, it was distinctly possible that meaning itself was not to be found in this life. And if there was no meaning, then freedom and joy, and even life itself might actually be empty pursuits. We've got to just get through it. We've got to just keep moving. Maybe numb the pain if possible. Friends, this was a, a good chunk of my story. And at the point where I'm leaving you here, it was pretty low. But how many of you are grateful to know that God oftentimes meets us in dark places? Somebody say amen to that. And he has a curious way of catching our attention. For me, it was an old church lady, number one, and a childhood friend. I'm going to tell you today how God used that old church lady and a childhood friend to bring my attention back to freedom in Christ that my heart was longing for. Last week, we talked about this uh, phrase. We have this up on this slide. We said, uh, looking at Galatians 4, you are not a slave, you are not a servant, you are not a stranger, but you are a child of God entrusted with full family benefits. Now, I need someone to say amen to that this morning. Just make sure you're awake. You got the full benefits. You are a child of God. You're not a slave. You're not a stranger. You, have the, you are a child of God, full family benefits, and one of those benefits that you have to enjoy, we would simply call this, is freedom in Christ. 
Today what I want to speak to you as we look at Galatians 5 in these first verses is a freedom that is greater than legalism. And then we're going to follow with a freedom that is greater than narcissism. And then we're going to talk about a freedom that is greater than nihilism. How many of you know what that word means? Some of you are looking it up right now. A lot of you know that word means. That idea that just the throwing off of any moral constraint because life essentially is meaningless. And I think that when we think about this, this idea of where do we find our freedom, legalism, narcissism, nihilism, all show up in this passage in their own ways and show up in culture all over the place. This is the question that many people are asking. What does it actually mean to be free? When Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, he's actually not talking about a bad habit, or he's not talking about trying to you know, change uh, the, a, a, something in his life that we would oftentimes attribute that, though that would certainly be a fair evaluation or application of that verse. What he is specifically talking about here is the burden of slavery caused by legalism. This was the whole point of Galatians up to this point. Now he's really putting uh, some names to it. The burden of slavery caused by legalism. We're going to talk about a freedom greater than legalism. Legalism which is embodied in what we would call a religious spirit, and it is marked by Monument thinking. This is the phrase in the slide that we've been putting up these last couple of weeks. When we think about this whole idea that we are called to be movement people, if we're going to understand freedom in Christ, we've got to understand that we are not monument people. We are not building boxes and trying to nail down and control everything that God would do. We're trying to figure out where is God moving, and we're trying to join him in that pursuit. It's a very different thing. Monument thinking stirs things up. Uh, movement thing stirs things up and empowers people. It's flexible, led by principles, crushes boxes, expectant future. This is where we say we don't know quite what God's got in store for us, but we are coming in with expectation to see what he's going to do. You can't do that when you're busy nailing everything down or trying to control when you are bound by the past and fear. Now here's an interesting thing. Some of you, when Paul talks about circumcision in the in the verses that we just read. How many of you, honestly, your response was like, I did not think that was what he was going to say next? Did anybody, did anybody kind of have that response if you weren't tracking quite yet with where we were going? Yeah, that's, that is a natural response, but we want to look at this. What is the problem? Well, this whole idea of legalism, this is the theme of Galatians, but specifically, Paul now brings us to this question of circumcision because it was being preached and told to the people, you've got to get back to the old covenant customs. This is how you are going to be identified, and this is how you're going to be justified. And Paul, like with all his heart, is railing against that and saying, no, that is not what the answer is. Even to the point that when he gets to the end, uh, he, basically says, he basically says to them, uh, I wish that they would emasculate themselves, these people that are trying to convince you to this. Why is he using such, uh, such, strong, uh, such strong and intense words? Well, he, we see this right away. He says, mark my words. He says, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. The problem is this. I know this is kind of a weird one to talk about, but here's the point that he's trying to get at. He's saying, if you go after justification through the law, 
The law is going to mirror all of the ways that you fall short of the glory of God. That's what it does. But the law has never in its history since its inception made you better. It's never corrected the heart issues. Like we need something deeper. We need new covenant work for that. So if you go back to the law, even in one thing, you're essentially guilty of all of it. That's what it says in verse 3. You're obligated to the whole law. So the law shows us our shortcomings. It doesn't change us. To invite justification through adherence to the law is to invite the incriminating truth that we fall short. So Paul is just railing against this. And he says we find, we're going to find ourselves exhausted again on the treadmill of performance. And that is what legalism gets you. This is why I'm so grateful to say to you today, you have a freedom in Christ that is better than legalism. Somebody say amen. Some of you grew up in that behavior modification sort of place. You have a freedom in Christ that is infinitely better than legalism. I want to uh, illustrate this to you with uh, an illustration uh, from Philip Yancey, and I shared this a little while ago uh, in a different setting. Uh, Philip Yancey has a really interesting comparison in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. I don't know how many of you have read that book, Jesus I Never Knew. It came out quite a few years ago. And it's a comparison uh, between two of the great uh, writers of all time, both Russian writers, uh, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. And if you're thinking, wow, Aaron has a lot of bandwidth to be sitting around reading Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. If I'm not getting a master's degree in English literature or in uh, Russian literature or something like that, no, I'm actually not. But these, this comparison is really fascinating. So Tolstoy, both of them identified themselves as Christians. Tolstoy was known as the perfectionist. The diaries record a whole lot of struggles between Tolstoy and his family, but more struggles between Tolstoy and himself. In an attempt to reach perfection, he kept devising these new lists of rules. He gave up hunting, he gave up smoking, he gave up drinking, he gave up meat. He drafted rules for developing the emotional will, rules for developing lofty feelings and eliminating the base ones. Uh, he had all of these lists that he spent in his life, and yet he was never able to come to the place or achieve the self-discipline necessary to keep all the rules. In fact, one of the quotes that he said, it was just so fascinating, so brilliantly said, he was, he was wanting to defend his faith and yet realizing that his own life was a real incrimination against the faith that he had. And so he said, don't judge the road that I walk if you see me swerving on it drunkenly. In other words, the road is still a good road. I just don't know how to walk it. So he wrestled with this idea of perfectionism really for all of his life. It was said of him that his brilliant understanding of the human heart made him a world-class novelist, but it also made him a tortured Christian. Tolstoy's ardent strides toward perfection never resulted in any semblance of peace or serenity. Up to the moment of his death, the diaries and the letters kept circling back to the rueful theme of failure. So contrast that idea of the perfectionist who wants so desperately to get it right and has written on down all these rules. And some of us know what that's like. You know that environment. Maybe you were raised in that environment. Maybe you are creating that environment even now for yourself. There's good news. There is a better freedom than legalism. And Dostoevsky actually tells that story quite well. Dostoevsky, the reborn. 
He was known for themes of grace. His, this is a powerful story. When he was in his 20s, um, he was falsely accused of a crime. I believe he was even imprisoned for that crime. But before that happened, he was marched in front of a firing squad, blindfolded, hands bound, last rites, cigarette, I don't know what, what all, you know, I mean, like the, all the nine yards. And then people rose their guns, three, two, one, to fire, and, and they didn't kill him. Um, it was an intentional sort of uh, psychological punishment, but it had a deep effect on his life. He said that he, he lived each day from that point on through the lens of one who was resurrected. And though he had unwise decisions of his own in his life, he had plenty of failures of his own, he, emba- he embodied the power of grace in his life and his writing. So here's the contrast then that Philip Yancey makes. Uh, we have this up on the screen for you, this quote. So he says, uh, and this is again, this is a freedom that comes that is better than legalism. Here's what he says. Before God, we all stand on level ground. Murderers and tempter, temper throwers, adulterers and lusters, thieves and coveters. This is in reference to Jesus' teaching, you know, that you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you have lust in your heart, you're basically in the same place. Don't, don't commit murder, but if you, have, if you have anger in your heart, this was Jesus' teaching. So we are all desperate, and that is, in fact, the only state appropriate to a human being who wants to know God. Having fallen from the absolute ideal, we have nowhere to land but the safety net of absolute grace. Now, I guarantee you, this notion that we have a better freedom than legalism I've never talked to anybody who said, I wish that wasn't true. You know what I mean? We all yearn for that, and yet it is so ingrained in us, the behavioralism, the outward approach, the how we are performing. It is so ingrained in who we are that I believe this is one of the biggest challenges to the church, to actually find a freedom in Christ that is greater than our legalistic approaches. Um. The next thing we're going to look at here, freedom greater than legalism, a freedom greater than narcissism. And this, I think, speaks to our day perhaps more than anything. If you go on and you'll read, Paul says to the Galatians, he actually says this right on the nose. He says in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. That's your identity. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I want to share with you uh, some teaching or writing from Sinclair Ferguson, who was a Scottish theologian. Um, he talked about the God's love conditioned on... Uh, so here's how... He, I'll say it this way. He said there were two sort of primary enemies to the gospel that we're going to deal with. And the first one is what we just talked about with legalism. This is how he defined it. He said, legalism is that God's love is confined to something I do or something that I can be. I offer something to God to ensure a right standing with him. So a legalistic spirit, he says, the problem with this is that it causes me to be ungenerous. It causes me to be harsh, sensitive, insecure, and jealous of others. Why? Because I'm not grounded in the unmerited grace of Jesus. I am performing, and then listen to this, therefore I am always conscious of other people's performance. 
That's how you know if you're dealing with a legalistic spirit. If you're basing your freedom on what you have achieved, you'll always be aware of your performance and you will always be aware of the performance of others. So in line with our first point, uh, Sinclair Ferguson says that legalism, this is a great uh, enemy of the gospel. The second one he called uh, antinomianism, which is a really kind of big and weird word, but it basically just means like anti-loss, a throwing off sort of of restraint. So you, you can't tell me what to do. Um, and, and he defined it this way. He said that because my record doesn't matter, I'll just live my life however I want. I'll be myself. I'll determine for myself what is right and wrong. We would use words like narcissism. We would use words like hedonism. These are not all synonyms for one another, but they're in the same vein. Self-love, pride. So the antinomian spirit leads me to be self-absorbed and unable to find joy in obedience. Now, this is actually a major theme. You actually see this all throughout Scripture. So Romans 1, Paul basically says this in Romans 1, that the moral mess of the antinomian spirit of the age is a real thing. And in Romans 2, that religious people trying to make their own righteousness is not the answer. And he gets to Romans 3, and he says we need the grace of the gospel because no one is righteous. Jesus addressed both of these things. He said the issue, for example, in Luke 15 is you've got the story of the lost son. The prodigal son is the antinomian spirit, the one who says, I'm going to cast off restraint. I'm going to do whatever I want. My life becomes a mess. But the older brother is the legalist, the self-proclaimed, whose self-proclaimed goodness leads him to his own misery. Both of these guys need a radical infusion of grace. Now, here's what Sinclair Ferguson's thesis comes down to, and it's really kind of an amazing one. He said the great lie of Genesis 3 is what fuels both of these misses. Both of these enemies of the gospel have their root in the big lie of the enemy found in Genesis 3. Maybe God doesn't have our best interest in mind. Maybe he is not to be trusted. So now obedience will feel restrictive and burdensome. And now this lie in the bloodstream of the human race, it is the default condition. It just comes out in different ways. Here's a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, These two things, the lie of the serpent, is the single root of legalism and antinomianism, or what we would call a narcissism. They are the non-identical twins that emerge from the same womb. The only difference between the two is that the legalist assumes, that the, per, assumes the burden wearily while the antinomian refuses it and casts it off. And here's the takeaway from it. If, you, if you've bared with me this far, uh, if you've borne with me thus far through a whole bunch of like long and weird words, uh, just here understand this. The reason that one of these things doesn't cure the other is because they come from the same source. So when you have somebody that you're praying for that's living kind of a wild, degenerate life and they're off living the antinomian thing, they're narcissistic, hedonistic, or whatever, the answer for them is not that they become more legalistic because it comes from the same source. And to the legalist who can't get past outward appearance and control and all those kind of things, the answer is not to throw off restraint and restraint in the antinomian spirit. One does not cure the other. The message of the gospel is this. We are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, resulting in a changed and fruitful life. So that a fruitful life is not what saves us. That's Romans 4. Faith unites us to Christ so that his righteousness and record are legally ours. 
So when Paul says to Philippians 3, and this is what he's trying to get to the Galatians again and again, when he says to the, to the Philippians in Philippians 3, you are in Christ. That is so significant because that's where you find your freedom that's better than legalism and your freedom that's better than narcissism. And then we bear fruit out of love for God, not to earn his love. James 2. So I'm going to give you one last freedom. Freedom greater than nihilism, which again is defined as the rejection of all religious and moral principles in the belief that life is meaningless. This was the very dark thought that began to crystallize in my mind. That if I couldn't find freedom in the understanding of religion that I had grown up with, and if I couldn't find joy in the self-proclaimed freedom that I had set out for, I became very alarmed that perhaps there really wasn't a freedom to be found, and there was not a meaning in life. Now here's where we get just, again, a very beautiful, reassuring anchoring, defining word from God, Galatians 5. Verse 5 and 6 says this, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. I just want you to hear that and and realize the significance of that. That means that we have a faith, not a general faith, but a, a general belief, but a personal relational faith in Christ that waits for the righteousness with hope. You see, in the gospel, there's always hope, even when we're in this in-between and we're waiting for the, the faith and the work that will come from the outside. The, the, secondly, he goes on to say this, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, that's actually a really good litmus test as well. Because to any of you that would say, well, I'm in that place of I'm burned out on religion. Well, what you need is not a, a more stringent religion or a greater discipline. You need an outlet, which is your faith in Christ expressing itself through love. That's ministry. That's calling. That's joy. That is actually freedom. Right now, we have people on, uh, on a mission field. What are they doing? They are expressing their faith through love to a people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're using gospel demonstration and gospel declaration and trusting that God will bring the fruit from it. Here's the thing, though, that we understand. They're not earning the favor of God. They're serving because they already have it. And like, if we can get that shift... To be in Christ, we find a freedom that is greater than our nihilism. Um, I want to end my story uh, with you today. Um, let, let me say one other thing real quickly. Um, this whole idea of a faith greater than narcissism, faith greater than nihilism, you know, this, there's such a cultural mood right now. You know, that people cast off restraint and they want to define things for themselves and all of this idea, life being so meaningless, this is so prevalent in our world. And when you step back and you just, again, whether you're a person of faith or not a person of faith, just step back and analyze what has been the fruit of that kind of freedom. Like the burden that I have in this and the burden that I think I felt in a personal way in my own story and journey is this. If your definition of freedom 
is leading you to a place that is nothing but anxiety, nothing but performance, nothing but trying to keep up, this exhausting sort of treadmill, nothing but anger and frustration and all of these sort of things, you've got to stop back and question, is this really what freedom is intended to be? I was sitting with a missionary on, uh, I've been doing a lot of travel this summer. I've been on a lot, a lot of flights and trips and different things like that for different things. And I was coming back from our general council and um, I was on a short flight from Spokane, Washington to Boise, Idaho. And uh, a woman sat down beside me. Her name was Bridget and she was very friendly, very nice. And she said, um, uh, who are you? What do you do? And all that kind of stuff she wanted to know about me. So I told her a little bit about who I was, what I was doing, why I was traveling, et cetera. And, um, and I said, well, who, who are you? And she said, my name's Bridget. And, and she said, I'm actually a, a missions aviation. My husband and I do missions aviation work. So it wasn't in our same denomination. It was just a, a person who did that. So, oh, that's really great. You know, so we're talking. So she's a believer, and she's talking about her mission work. And, and I just, we just had a real connection, just you know, kind of talking with each other the whole time, so much so that as we're getting ready, ready to land in Boise, she says, oh, I think we need to pray together. Let's just pray together. So we're like praying out loud and holding each other's hands. And, you know, it's just this, this sweet sort of older sister in the faith kind of thing. She gave me her prayer card afterwards. We just had this like sweet bonding moment together. But here's one of the things she said to me as we're in flight, bonding and spending some time uh, getting to know each other. She said, I have been in the backwoods of Costa Rica for the better part of the last 10 years. She said, so I'm coming back into American culture. And this is kind of the thing that I found. People have gotten incredibly angry. That was her observation. She said, man, people are more angry, more anxious, more worked up. She said, it didn't used to seem to be like that, but now it seems like that's everywhere. I said, well, yeah, we've kind of we've taken a downturn in the, in the anger department, you know. This is where we find ourselves. And here's the thing, though. When the pendulum swings so far that we say, you know, narcissism isn't working. Like, living for my own freedom is not working. Living with a nihilistic worldview that just says, maybe it's just all meaningless, isn't working. And yet, here's the joy when we find, wait a minute, we find there's actually true freedom in Christ. That was the, that was the rub that I was feeling at 19. And what did God do? He sent me an old church lady, and he sent me a childhood friend. Mary Bell was an old woman in our church, who prayed for me ever since I was a little kid. It was rare if the doors were open that Mary Bell was not there. Um, and this is a very hopeful moment because uh, some of you are old church ladies. Uh, we need old church ladies. And not just old church ladies. We need people to fill that role of saying, I'm going to pray for the next generation. That's why we talk about that kind of stuff. She did that for me. And... When I was 19 years old, I'm not really walking with the Lord, I'm really struggling and all this kind of stuff and somewhere between, uh, you know, narcissism and nihilism and whatever and I came, came home, again, faking it pretty well and uh, Mary Bell came up to me because I visited the church where I grew up and so she came up to me and she said, Aaron, I want you to come to my house this afternoon, I want you to see my Christmas tree. I was home on Christmas break and I was like, oh great. It was sort of the feeling you have when somebody says like, oh, I've got like five slideshow reels of like a family vacation we took in 1984 and you're going to love them, you know, and you go like, <laughs> sure, okay. Um, so that's how I felt and I, I, I sort of wanted to say no and I said, okay, I'll, I'll come over for a little while and, uh, and I'll see your Christmas tree. And so I did. 
And I don't know if she had an agenda for that meeting or not. I honestly don't. I don't know if she knew something or not. I don't, honestly don't. She never let on that she, she did. But what she did during that time was kind of continue to, to sort of challenge me. She would talk about the importance of being on mission for Christ. And, and she said things almost wistfully like, man, you know, I think about the opportunities that God's given you at a big school like Penn State. Oh, man. God's going to just use you in incredible ways. And my, like, my honesty meter was just kind of going like, oh, man. Like, because I knew in my heart, number one, I didn't have freedom in Christ. And I knew in my heart, I was certainly not in a place to share freedom in Christ. So I left there with this kind of, like, deep conviction that something was missing and maybe I had run past a freedom that I had missed. So as I'm chewing on that in, in sort of close proximity to it, uh, I had a childhood friend. We went to elementary school and middle school and high school together, and then we went to different colleges, and uh, her name was Carrie, and she said, I'm home too. Can I come over and can we catch up or whatever? And so we began to catch up at my parents' house, and uh, we lived close to Erie, Pennsylvania, and you get lake effect snow there, and a huge blizzard came in while we were hanging out together so badly that she could not get home and ended up staying the night at my parents' house. And we just made up a guest room bed or something like that for her. But being college students, we just stayed up. We hadn't seen each other for so long. We stayed up for all, almost all hours of the night. And she wanted to talk to me about a resurgence of faith that she was experiencing. And now all of a sudden I'm hearing coming out of my friend's mouth, this is someone I trust, someone that I know, and I'm hearing her talk about a relationship with God that I had maybe a while ago sub suspected that didn't, couldn't actually exist. And yet here it was right in front of me. So God has this funny way of using old church ladies and using childhood friends, and it was about six months after those two events that they probably didn't even realize, I did a lot of listening in both of those situations, that they didn't realize the impact of their freedom in Christ and what it was having on my life, and it was about six months later that following summer that I really came to a point of surrender to say, I'm not sure if I even know what freedom in Christ is, but I know that's what I've been missing. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life and what I like to call my spiritual renaissance, a hunger for the word began, began to develop. The course of my life was radically changed because I learned a freedom that was better than legalism. Somebody say amen. I learned a freedom that was better than narcissism. Somebody say amen to that. And I learned a freedom that was better than nihilism, that there actually was meaning in life. And you've got people in your life right now that are under the weight of that. And some of you are living under the weight of that. And I sensed this morning as I got up early and was praying for this morning and praying for the services and praying for this church that, that the Holy Spirit would open up some eyes to say, wait, freedom in Christ can be a real thing. And you see Paul's heart for the Galatians saying, don't give that up for legalism. Don't give that up for adherence to the law. Don't give that up for indulging yourself. Learn to serve one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's a whole new journey.
I want the worship team to come up and, and lead us. As they do that, I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would do that now. I want to just say a prayer for you, and I want to give you two invitations. They're very simple, okay? Uh, the first invitation is this. I do believe that today is a day for breakthrough. The gospel leads us to freedom in Christ, which is better than the things we talked about before. It has been almost 30 years since God caused my pursuit of freedom to pivot to freedom in Christ. I'm still on that journey. And the reason I say that is I'm still learning. I can slip into legalism. I can slip into narcissism. I can slip into nihilism. But as I move forward, uh, I do so when I am grounded in the freedom in Christ. So I want to make sure that every person hearing this message hears that invitation today. And don't hear it from me. Hear that from the Holy Spirit. Saying, I've got more for you than you have realized. Find freedom in Christ. Bow your knee to freedom in Christ. Wait expectantly with freedom in Christ. Restore hope in your life with freedom in Christ. Get on mission with freedom in Christ. You get the point. Okay, so if that's you today, we're going to invite you to take a step forward and say, I'm going to do that. And we'll invite you just to come forward in, in prayer to do that. Here's the other one. I'm talking to my old, uh, I'm talking to my, my, my old church ladies here for a minute. And anybody, male or female, that would fit that description. What I mean by that is you have a heart to pray freedom in Christ for the next generation. And you pray that for your kids, and you pray that for your grandkids, and you pray that for people in the church, and you pray that for people in your community group. And you say, God, would you, would you raise hunger? God, would you, would you raise a, a dissatisfaction with outward appearance kind of stuff? So if that's you today, and yeah, you know, I've got a heart for that. I'm praying for my kids in that way, and I'm praying for people in my circles in that way, then I'm going to ask you to step forward as well. And we're going to pray together. We're going to ask that the Lord would teach us something new of freedom in Christ, and he would do a work of freedom in Christ. So while I'm talking even right now, I want you to respond to those two things. Number one, uh, if that's you saying, yeah, I need to, I, that's a personal call for me, I want you to, be, to begin to step forward. If, that, if you are saying, I want to be praying that for the next generation, um, this is important work. I want you to step forward. We've got people coming forward right now. Don't be bashful. Come on forward. And, we just, and you can just begin to pray as we lead, and we'll join you in prayer together. This is good work. Don't, don't shy away from this work. We're asking for a move of God in the next generation. You know, and some of us ask the question, where would I be without people that prayed for me? That's what God has put on my heart here today. So come as you're uh, led to come. If you're not led to come forward, you can still pray where you are. There's no, nothing wrong with that. I want to pray for you, Jesus. We would renounce today the counterfeit freedoms that some of us have walked with and walked in. Maybe we didn't want to pick that up. Maybe somebody put that on us. Maybe that was what we grew up with. Maybe that was just what we knew. But we grew up with a legalistic spirit that said freedom looks like this. It's behavior modification. Uh, it's, it's, it's putting up a good face. It's making sure people don't know uh, your mistakes. And that's not the gospel. So we acknowledge that before you. Jesus, you have given us a gospel that gives us a freedom to succeed in you and a freedom to fail and a freedom to fall in the grace of Christ. 
there's not one of us that doesn't need that. And so we're going to be honest about it, and we're going to put down a legalistic spirit that is no freedom at all. And we're going to put down a narcissistic spirit This says, and you hear this in your world all around you, it's just you need to lean in more. It's all about you. you got to get what you need. You, 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 you. And Jesus, we just acknowledge that is our old nature speaking. And you call us to things like this. You say things like, offer yourselves as a sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. You say things like, learn what it is to die to self, to find real life. So Lord, we confess, narcissism is not freedom. We receive freedom in Christ today. And Lord, I just sense that even as we're waiting on you, that you wanna remind us of meaning, remind us of what does it mean to express faith through love. That's just such a simple phrase. I pray you'd bring it back to us today that this life is not meaningless, that there is calling, there is purpose, there is joy, there is freedom in you. So we pray that for ourselves. We pray that for the next generation. And we thank you for the privilege of meeting and doing some business with you today. This is important business for us. We love you. We love your word. We love your freedom. We walk in that and everybody said, amen.